What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 190 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. 190. I'm, yeah, I'm fucking blown away. We're 10 away from 200, uh, to hoping to sort of store out a special guest for that one, but also get something special going around it. Still kind of in the works of that. I haven't introduced myself. If this is the first time you're listening, my name's Tim Burbeck. I am the host of said podcast. But yeah, um, really super stoked that we've got to 190. Like when I first started this, I thought aim for 100 and we'll go from there. And we're nearly, yeah, we're nearly at 200. This is pretty exciting times. Um, apologies if you can hear some weird noises. My, I'm recording this on a Sunday and my neighbours because it's nice outside, and making some weird-ass noises with their kids. So, sorry if you can hear that in the background. It's not somebody being murdered. Um, but yeah, we're here. We're here to have another podcast, as always. Um, my week has been fairly boring, so even though lockdown is starting to ease, uh, for people who saw it, that Madball Cro-Mags show that happened in... New York, that's weird. Like, yeah, I don't know. That was a bit too normal for my liking. I'm still, like, don't get me wrong. I'm really, like, gagging to go to shows, but there's also part of me that is very uneasy of things at the moment still. So, yeah, not going to be catching me stage diving or mic grabbing off Freddie Madball anytime soon. Um, Just in terms of, like, new music they've been listening to, the new Big Brave record came out on Friday, uh, Vital, which is Vital Listening. There you go. Uh, really cool, like, doomy stuff. If you're not familiar with Big Brave, like, they're one of those bands that, like, just create really interesting, sparse music. And it's, like, really nice. Like, it's harrowing, but it's nice, if that makes sense. Uh, the Die Alone EP, really cool. Self-Fulfilling Prophecy. Go check that out. Um... A really cool kind of like conceptual album by a band called Ultra Deluxe is kind of like Screamo Space Core. It's really weird, but like, trust me, go check it out. It's a really cool record. Um, Yeah, I think that... Oh, New Dinosaur Jr., obviously, and the new Capra record. That one was a surprise for me, and I have to give a shout out to um, my boy Gary Trelease over at the Heaviest Podcast for sort of pointing my attention to that one because that is a really fucking cool record so yeah those are what we've been listening to um haven't got a whole lot more to say we will have a new patreon episode coming out next sunday so if you're unfamiliar go check out our patreon page it's patreon.com forward slash justin inside podcast uh we do an exclusive sort of radio style uh if you're familiar with the new podcast Mark for Life, I've very much taken inspiration from them. So, but it's rather than it kind of being a specific theme, it's like tracks that I found from Bandcamp new releases in the last month or so. So, yeah, go over to Patreon and go check that out. Um, I'm gonna stop babbling and we're gonna get on to this week's guest. And this was a fucking cool one. Like, yeah, Atreyu is a band that were very much part of my formative years getting into alternative music, so this was very, very special. Uh, my guest is guitarist of Atreyu, Dan Jacobs. Uh, we got onto kind of like how obviously the band started, how they were part of like the Orange County kind of metalcore, hardcore scene with bands like 18 Visions, Bleeding Through, Throwdown, and how Atreyu kind of didn't fit in, but were sort of carved their own path from from the early days we talk about the victory records days and that whole shit show if you're not familiar with the victory records story then go educate yourself it's fucking wild um but we also talk about like how the band has kind of expanded and sort of wanting to do more uh not necessarily mainstream but kind of broaching that sort of like uh divide between the two like appearing on soundtracks appearing on games appearing on in sports arenas and and so on and so forth um and obviously now the the latest record which comes out on june 4th uh is the first with a a new front person a new lineup and the different dynamics in that so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with dan and i'll see you on the other side 
Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist of Metal Extraordinaires of Treyu, Dan Jacobs. Dan, thank you very much for taking some time to have a chat with me. Um, all things considering, obviously you guys got a new record coming out in the near future, but how have things been in this sort of weird time for, for yourself? Um, it's uh, It's been different, a little more, you know, laid back and uh, just trying to find alternative ways to stay normal you know but um with uh <laughs> yeah. i mean as far as the band goes and whatnot you know i mean we've been you know this album that we're putting out you know baptized it's coming out here soon on uh, june 4th is uh we've been working on it since 2019 i mean the end of 2019 and oh wow yeah um we started working on it then and then everything kind of got you know the COVID thing happened and everything kind of went on pause uh, for a few months until we were able to safely get back into the studio again and uh, keep going. So, and then between mm. that and just, you know, you know, back and forth stuff, you know, getting everything right and making sure the mixes are correct. And, you know, we have a, a few different special guests on the record. We have to make sure that they're, um, everything is taken care of, you know, for legality reasons and whatnot with them. And um, there's just a lot of uh, moving parts that, uh, you know, made this record take, you know, a year and a half uh to become <laughs> yeah. a reality um so it's uh yeah and and obviously like a lot of bands have kind of obviously had to adapt and and things to to the times and obviously you're one of the bands that has done the the live streaming sessions and stuff but yours obviously like it felt kind of grandioso like you put a lot of effort into it so was that something that you consciously wanted to do yeah yeah i mean especially with us you know we have our lineups changed a, a little bit for this record um you know, and that was kind of our first big look uh, with the new lineup. So we wanted to come out, yeah, come out guns blazing and and just do something really epic and also showcase a lot of things that we weren't able to do in the past uh, with the previous lineup. Okay. So that was kind of we just there was just a lot that needed to kind of get out of us um, and in mm. you know because of the scenario, it had to be done uh, via live stream and um, yeah, we just went huge with it and had a good time with it. How was how was it? Because obviously, like a lot of what a trailer does is the live setting. Like you're very kind of like, even though you're on these bigger stages nowadays, like you still very much like that connection with the audience. So how was it kind of, especially with, as you say with this new lineup, like being in that situation where you're still kind of playing live but not to the same effect? How did you find that? Uh, it felt like recording a music video. Um... That was okay. the same kind of vibe, you know, you just have, there's camera people everywhere. Um, you know, you, you're performing, you, you got to go all out, put on a performance, you know, cause it's being videotaped, but at the same time, there's not an audience mm. per se. So it just, it was just, it's very sterile, you know, it just feels like you're recording a, a video, you know, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it, it feels like what it is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, there's no crowd there. So even, even, yeah, a lot of yeah. times, you know, crowd interaction and stuff kind of fuels onstage banter and and uh, onstage interactions with the band members and stuff. A lot of it's just fueled by what you see and what you hear in the crowd. So when you remove that element, uh, you have a lot less to work with. You're just kind of like standing up there in silence and like, so, uh, yep, in between <laughs> yeah. a song right now. And uh, that's, uh, how's everybody doing? That's okay. There's nobody here. Uh, nobody can respond <laughs> to us. All right. So next song. <laughs> that's cool well yeah as i as i mentioned i always like to kind of take my guests back to their roots and their origins so to say so how i kind of always open it up is like what kind of got you into alternative music what was the the starting point for yourself dan uh for me i mean i've always been very attracted to music since i was a kid and uh even playing instruments like a, the, initially the piano just because it was the most accessible thing mm. you would see at like circuit city or like you know, like the original Best Buys, essentially. We had Circuit City out here, like other, you know, even toy stores, just places where you would go in and there would be like electronics, uh, Radio Shack, things like that. Yeah. They would have keyboards. I always felt myself being really attracted to them and wanting to like just play them or something or try to make, you know, mess with them. Um, and then in seventh grade, when I was, you know, 12 years old, um, uh, that was the first time that like I started watching like MTV. And I started paying attention to stuff like that. I just kind of like was paying more attention to, you know, quote unquote, more like adult shows instead of just watching like stuff when you're a kid, you know, but prior to being 12 and I was still kind of in, in kid mode. So you're, you're kind of in this area of discovery. So I started watching MTV and remember 
in particular seeing Green Day's um, Dookie album, um, the song Basket Case. Mm. Uh, yeah. That, so this is in like 1994, I want to say, 93, 94. I remember seeing this for the first time and just being like, whoa, like everything about what I was seeing, like just was attractive to me, you know, like the, mm. you know, the way that the band sounded was awesome and their look and their energy and Billy Joe being this kind of like smaller guy like myself and, um, you know, playing guitar in this wild green guitar and their, their band being Green Day. And like, I love the color green. I'm even wearing green right now. Um, it just all connected, you know, and uh, from there, you know, I kind of started unraveling more into just getting into whatever was cool at the time and my friends were listening to Nirvana and Weezer and, you know, Rancid and things mm. like that. Um, and then it was really being next to uh, uh, my first period class in seventh grade. It was a history class and I was sitting next to I was everybody sat in pairs and I was paired next to this guy yeah. named Brian Kelly. And he I don't know what he does these days. I don't imagine anything even that spectacular to be honest but at the time he just started playing drums and was really passionate about playing drums and because he was sitting next to me and he was talking about it all the time he was like you should play an instrument too like you would you know we could jam together and start a band or something and I was like all right like maybe I'll be like Billy Joe from Green Day and I'll, I'll play guitar yeah. you know like that could be cool you know and for me too like being you know at a very impressionable you know pubescent age I was like oh maybe that'll like make girls like me you know what I mean like I'll get I'll get chicks, you know, if I'm like <laughs> yeah. the guy in the band, you know, so like I could get behind this, you know? So uh, it started with that, you know, uh, jamming initially and it didn't really go anywhere with, with Brian. He wasn't a very good drummer and um, we didn't have much to work with, but that kind of led me down my path to eventually meeting our, um, our ex singer, uh, Alex in, uh, in eighth mm. grade, um, you know, a year later at that mm. point, I'd been playing guitar for about a year and play any green day song you could think of. Um, <laughs> You know, which is just switching around four chords in different orders for the most part, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, at that point, that's kind of what got me in with talking with Alex and him. Um, he was interested in uh, playing bass himself. He played a little bit of bass and wanted to be in a band and sing. And I just wanted to play guitar. And he, one of his influences was Green Day. And I'm like, dude, I love Green Day, mm -hmm. man. I could play every Green Day song you'd think of. So I went over to his house, you know, that like within like a week or something like that, we started jamming. And um you know, that kind of led me on my journey of uh, being in like a band. Mm. But in terms of like what you were listening, like obviously you mentioned Green Day there, but what kind of was sort of Alex putting you on to bands that kind of maybe led more to what Atrey sounded like? Where did like kind of like the, the heavier influence? Um, so, I mean, initially a little bit was Alex, Alex got me into punk. That's he really, he really right. like, like I liked it, but I didn't really know anything about it. And he really, he, did all the educating himself and relate all these bands to me. And it really like, it really grew my knowledge of punk. Um, and I think from there, what happened is, is we were, you know, we started off going to punk shows and whatnot. And then through not just him, but my other groups of friends, even Brandon um, in our band as well, some of our other close friends, like everybody was into not just punk, but all different styles of music. And um, what kind of naturally gravitated next was the hardcore scene. Um, I, I can't remember yeah. what the, the the turning point moment was um, as far as uh, like what, who started listening to hardcore bands first, but um, you start listening to even like Pantera and like metal and then like kind of in between punk and metal is, is hardcore. And um, I remember going to, a, there's this band from Orange County called Adamantium. They're not, I don't think they're yeah, they yeah, much yeah. anymore and they never really got super big, but in Orange County, they were really big in the hardcore scene. They could sell out any venue in Orange County and have the craziest shows. And I remember going to one of their shows for the first time, and that was like my first time seeing a hardcore show. And I'd never, I'd never mm. seen like people go so crazy before in my life, like just jumping off <laughs> yeah. the stage and the moshing and just like, it was just, I mean, everyone piling on the singer, like everything was just, I've never seen any kind of energy like that before. So for us, we were really attracted to the idea of, you know, we were already playing shows as a punk band at this point, we were called Retribution and playing uh, shows at a lot of these venues. And, you know, you could get a pretty fun reaction as a punk band, but like, it wasn't as intense and it, as the mm. reaction that hardcore bands were getting. And we're like, wow, we want that. I want that drug. You know what I mean? Like, I want to get on stage and like <laughs> yeah. have that reaction. Like, we need to, we need heavier music. Like, we need to kind of step our game up a little bit. So that's kind of what led us in the world of like, Atreyu becoming less punk and kind of getting heavier for a while in a, absorbing that mm. side of that flavor of the band mm. and in terms of your guitar playing I'm, I'm 
jumping forward a little bit, but just because when like you became on a lot of people's radar, like I think for my generation anyway, like people were were very much kind of like into that sound, and it was very much like of a time, especially when you first sort of came around. But particularly your guitar playing, it was really like interesting, like to hear someone that was like doing like noodly shredding and stuff in something that was a bit heavier. Like it wasn't just sort of chugging riffs, which is what I was personally used to. So where did that kind of like more, I guess, quote unquote, technical guitar playing influence come in for you and wanting to put that into the Atreyu sound? Um, I mean, the Atreyu sound in general is, it's, it's eclectic because everyone in our band loves so many different styles of music and we weren't very like i listen to metal and that's it i don't care about anything else like we listen to everything <laughs> yeah. i mean just any kind of music it doesn't it to us is if music's good it doesn't matter what style it is we'll listen to it we don't we don't care we just love music um so with that being said like to to have one band that's our focal point band because we all were in multiple bands when we started but atreyu was always kind of like the bigger one of all the bands that any of us were in so like that was like the main focal point and that was the best chance that we had of getting somewhere was via the route of Atreyu. So we had to put everything mm. we got into Atreyu. So it, to get everything in there, had there had to be heavy parts because we love metal and there had to be some hardcore parts and breakdowns because we love hardcore, but we also love the softer side of like the emo world and alternative rock and pop music and stuff. We had to get all that in there too. It was every itch needed to be scratched for, for every band member. Uh, so Mm. And with me in particular, the, one of the, the flavors that I have always brought to Atreyu is the kind of classic rock 70s, 80s thing. You know, the Van Halen-y, you know, Queen, uh, White Snake, Scorpions, Motley Crue kind of thing. You know, like, yeah. I love that stuff. That was always really inspiring to me, just um, especially when I was in high school, just how over the top that era, you know, of music was. Um you know, everything was just had to be more, bigger, louder, faster, crazier. Everything was just on 11. You know, it was, it was such a cool time in the world, especially in the music world, you know. So I've always been very inspired by that. And I, I really wanted to add that flavor into, you know, hardcore metal and, and, and punk, whatever it is that we were kind of mixing together just to be different. Nobody was really doing that, you know, like 80s was kind of coming mm. back. Um, a little bit. It was kind of becoming trendy. Even that, if you look at the, the the emo look, the the way everyone's hair is and the makeup and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot yeah. of that even rooted back to even people like myself just trying to bring the '80s back. You know, just trying to bring it back in its own form and like not wanting to go full throttle on being, you know, wearing spandex pants and having, you know, what I mean, not wanting to go full throttle, <laughs> yeah. but like dipping your toes in. So like, would wear a little bit of makeup, you know, or like um, would wear, you know, like sleeveless shirts or things that like that look like stuff that dudes in the 80s would do like there was a lot of nods to that world you know even with my guitar playing and even the look of my guitars like I wanted everything to look like I was mm. some dude out of the 80s you know I wanted I wanted to embrace that a lot so that that's um a big part of the Atreyu flavor it's done mm. and you mentioned obviously that like when you guys kind of started off like you started off as like the punk band, but then d discovered like the hardcore sound of things. And obviously when you guys were kind of coming up, like the Orange County scene was really sort of vibrant. Like obviously it had like yourselves, like Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Aeon Visions, all this like band, it, like this one time, it, like all these incredible bands. So being part of that, did it feel like something special? Like, or was it just like something from an outsider looking in? Not initially. I mean, initially it felt like we were outcasts. I mean, us, Thrice, Avenged Sevenfold, we were all the Orange County outcasts because we right. were the hardcore bands that were singing as well, which was like not cool. It was just, <laughs> right. it, 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 it became very cool. It became, you know, started a wave of things, you know, but like it initially wasn't cool. Like all those bands you mentioned, 18 Visions, Adamantium, Throwdown, all those bands, like they were just brutal brutality the whole way from front to finish. Every song was just smash, 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 mosh, mosh, mosh. And, you know, those shows are fun to go to and whatnot. And for us, like, like I was saying before, we really wanted to do a little bit of everything. But the for us, like Bands Avenge and, and Thrice and ourselves, like the, the place that felt the most comfortable was like a starting point to like get into some sort of scene or just you have to start somewhere. Like what bands do you play with? For us, it was like, well, 
I guess we'll start with the hardcore scene, even though we're not fully mm. hardcore or not really fully metal and we're, we touch a little bit. We're not really fully emo or anything like that. That's, we kind of, you know, we're too much on the other side for that. So like, I guess we'll start in the hardcore scene. And then it initially we were kind of like, you know, the ugly or, or the, the, we were just outcasts. Like nobody was cool with it. Nobody liked yeah. it. So it turned into us playing shows with Avenged or like teaming up with these other bands that were doing what we were doing as well. And, and just kind of carving our own path. And it wasn't really until we started getting bigger than all of those bands that they kind of started respecting us and, and paying attention to us, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was one of those things they thought it was stupid until next thing you know, they're like begging to open up our, our tours, you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. I mean, at the end of the day, we're friends with all these guys now and stuff. And, you know, they're all, they're all great humans. You know, we were all young, wild teenagers at the time uh, that this is all was happening, mm. but um, it's just interesting to, you know, see at the time it was, it was, it was tough. It was tough to find a place, a home. Yeah. Uh and obviously, like, as I mentioned, so, like, obviously I came across your band through um, Suicide Notes, and I think that was obviously an entry point for a lot of people. And obviously that sort of time, there was, like, this buzz around that kind of, as you say, like, hardcore metal, but with sort of the emo tinge that people were really sort of gravitating towards. So was there a moment, like, when that record came out that you like as you mentioned there kind of getting bigger than the the other sort of orange county bands was there a moment that you can remember when that switch happened that you were like oh shit we're getting like not just national attention but like international attention um on suicide notes it was everything was so fresh that it was like it was kind of like hard to really digest what was going on and and um it was still kind of a slow growth at that point like we were definitely you know, I mean, I think when that record came out before we released the curse, we'd hit like 150,000 copies, um, mm. which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of records. But like for us, like at the time for a band that's never sold any records and you put out a record <laughs> yeah. and it gets to 150,000 copies, you're like, holy shit. Like there's 150,000 people out there that like listen to my band now. Like we were just playing local shows and now like there's like that's wild. Um, but it was the moment where I was like, oh, shit, like like this is working big time now. Uh, it was when we released The Curse. Um, mm. We released it on, I think it was June 29th, uh, 2004, and which is the day before my birthday. And oh, nice. I remember going to Virgin Megastore, right? Virgin, I don't think they're even around anymore, at least not out here. No, no, but no. At the time when record stores were still a thing, um, there was this place in Orange County, uh, an outdoor mall called The Block. And it's pretty big outdoor mall and there was a giant virgin mega store there and they wanted to have us do a signing there the day that the oh, day sick. the album was released now for a band like us at that time that was like what like why would why would virgin <laughs> yeah. which is like you know the mainstream this is like the big time stuff want a band like us that's just screaming and, and like this like just left of center under the radar you know not a mainstream can't get played on the radio band why would they want us at virgin records we're like that's so weird like we're just gonna be embarrassing we're gonna go there and do this signing and there's gonna be nobody there and like this is just gonna be weird but like all right if that's what they want us to do so i get there the day of i get out of my car and i start walking up you know to to the block and i see you know as i start getting past some of the cars and i can see the entrance to virgin i realize that not only is there a line but i can't see where the line ends and it like wrapped all the way, it literally wrapped around the block and we were like holy shit like whoa like where all these people come from i didn't even know there was that many people in orange county that knew who we were like <laughs> so confused yeah. you know we just couldn't understand what was going on and uh i remember i didn't want to go over there just yet because i was like i don't want to like i don't know i didn't know, know what to do so i remember going over to one of the restaurants that was at the block to just like hang out and grab a drink before this all happened and in waiting like somebody came up to me and was like oh my god like you're dan you're, you're from trey you like oh look was getting all like you know fanning out on me and i was like what the hell like i've never really had anybody do that <laughs> yeah. before like people would like be into our band but it, it never was like that um and then we went and did yeah. the signing and the signing we signed for over five hours and we had to take multiple intermissions we never that's the longest signing to this day we've ever done it was the day we released the first it was that's crazy, crazy. There were, it was just the whole thing was just like i can't believe this like i, I just i can't believe this i don't even know where all these people came from <laughs> <laughs> but that was it after that everything's nothing's ever been the same everything kind of yeah you know, yeah went 
And just to kind of backtrack a little bit, because obviously, like, I think by the time you'd kind of got over here in the UK, like, you weren't doing, like, massive venues, but you were doing sort of, like, at least substantial venues and stuff. But I'm, I'm interested to kind of hear about the first sort of early outings of Atreyu, because, like, in my head, I can't picture you guys doing smaller venues, but obviously you did. So, like, what were, those, like, those first tours like? Were, um, were, was it a case of, like, the this typical tour story of, like, playing to, like, five oh, yeah. people and, and their mates? Sort of we had, I mean... In retrospect, like we had a pretty decent, like we didn't have to like rough it for too, too long. Like some bands just, you're, mm. you're in a van and you're always in a van and that's your whole career for however long you want to to sustain that. But um, we were very fortunate to, I mean, when we started off, I mean, don't get me wrong, we started off, our first tour was brutal. We Our first show was, because we live in Southern California, our first show was in uh, Vancouver, Washington, which is basically just north of Portland, Oregon. So we drove straight, yeah. we had a van with no trailer uh, with the five band members and our drummer Brandon's brother Ryan, he was kind of like merch guy, helper guy. Um, so in this 15 passenger van, we took out the front bench. People, two people would sit on the floor. Two people would sit on the bench right behind that. Took out the back two benches behind that. Filled them up with all of our equipment, all of our suitcases and stuff, all of our merch. I mean, we were fucking packed into this thing. It was very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. And uh, took off on our first tour in, in summer of 2002, and like. We went to, it was a 21 hour drive to get to Vancouver, played in front of, I don't know, fucking 20 people, something like that. Yeah. Drove from there 17 hours to Billings, Montana, played in front of another, oh, another 17 people or whatever it was. I mean, like it was a lot, every once in a while you'd hit like a pocket of like a show where we're like, oh, like there's, you know, there's 50 people at this one. This is kind of cool. You know, we had a, a, you know, in Houston, Texas, our first time there, we put a place called Mary Jane's and um it wasn't a big show you know there's like i said maybe like 50 people watching us but they were going nuts and they were singing along like people there was a, a handful of people that knew the words to our songs and we're like oh it's wild like mm. never been to texas before and like you know a lot of us yeah, have never yeah. been anywhere before you know so we were just going to these states for our first time and pop in there and people know who you are and you're like, this is so weird but um <laughs> it was you know we grinded it out you know we play some shows sometimes we show up there'd be nobody there or we've done stuff where we 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 drove 40 hours to play one show in Cleveland, Ohio. Drive 40 hours straight, played the show. There's, I mean, we probably played in front of like two, 300 people and drove 40 hours back. But it was our, at the time, it was our, we did almost $1,000 in merch. And we were like, oh my God, this is the most merch we've ever sold in a show. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of that, even go, even to England, you know, and, and in Europe coming over for the first time, you know. Uh, we were opening for um, Boy Sets Fire uh as half mm. the tour was that and the other half was opening for sepultura which was uh and and tossing some festivals in between like you know grass pop festival or um yeah i can't remember some of the other ones we did download and things like that but um yeah i mean even that kind of stuff like i mean we we i mean we've you know we've played some of the tiniest little clubs in front of nobody and uh done all the things it wasn't you know it took us about two and a half years of touring to really you know it wasn't until like the, like i said the curse came out 2004 that things started to pick up where we were able to do, you know, averaging a thousand to, you know, 1500, 2000 people a night. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to dwell on it too much because I think several people have kind of spoken about it, but obviously with you guys being on, on victory, like everyone knows the story of, of victory and everything like that. But was that something that you like was affected by or did you have quite a good relationship with victory no we were affected by it if, if you if you if you're involved with victory you're getting affected like tony brummel <laughs> tony brummel is an absolute scumbag of a business person like he everything like i don't know how that dude sleeps at night like i genuinely i i own multiple businesses myself um you know mm. in the music world and like i just could not sleep at night if i operated the, the way that that guy does um you know financially screwed us over so bad our, our first I'll, I'll give you this our first record deal all right we signed it was for like seven albums all right something Whoa. crazy there was like seven albums and our publishing we sold him all of our publishing for four thousand dollars recoupable so so Whoa. for anybody out there that doesn't know what that means he basically said i will loan you four thousand dollars to give me all of the rights to your music and we're like okay yeah we can yeah. use that four thousand dollars to put a down payment on a van so we can go on tour like yeah okay like we didn't know we were teenagers like we didn't know what we were doing 
yeah, you know? yeah. And then, and then we didn't have a manager at the time. Like we didn't know, we just didn't know what we were doing. He takes full advantage of the fact that we were these young, ignorant kids and didn't know what we were doing. He does this with every band. Um, he would do mm. things like, um, you know, if you had an ad on, you know, on TV or an ad in a magazine or anything, he would say the ad costs, you know, thousand dollars instead of charging, the ad would be split between several bands. He'd have, you know, a tray use on there and take him back Sunday and fucking Hawthorne Heights are all in the same ad. Instead of splitting the cost of the ad three ways between the three bands, he would charge every band the full price. This is just one example of shit that he would do. Like this, he was yeah, such a piece yeah. of shit. I mean, he was raking in the fucking money. But he was just fucking all of his bands. I mean, eventually uh, a day to remember mm. went on and sued him for like $4 million and won. Like finally somebody took that yeah, yeah. down because he was just, this dude, I mean, this dude just, you know, I mean, physically threatens people. Like he's crazy. Like he's an absolute crazy human being. Like it's, it's, mm. he's like a villain out of a movie or something like that, the way he would operate. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, like my bands, like, when we, we signed a deal, um, when we went to Hollywood Records, we signed a deal for a million dollars. And we'd never done mm. anything. We were like, holy shit, we were the last bands that could get something like that. You know, this is those days are kind of over now, unless you're fucking just absolutely yeah. honest. And we went to him and we were like, dude, they're going to give us this deal. Like, we want off your record label. We want out. And he basically was like, the amount of money that we were like, just give us this and we'll go away. And he was like, okay. And it was like a large number. And he was like, no problem. Which means he would have probably, like, he probably owed us millions and millions of dollars that we just never got to see because we got fucking screwed out of every deal with this dude because we just didn't know what we were worth or what was going on. We were yeah, never getting yeah. real numbers. Like everything was just, just, just complete taking advantage of us as well as every other band, you know? So, mm. um, but at the same time, off the back of all that fucking, you know, awful shit, you know, I got our name out there, you know, it, it, it our band grew, yeah. you know, so it's kind of like, you know, it's like doing a deal with the devil, you know, straight <laughs> yeah. up, like he was the devil and we did a deal with him and the deal sucked, but we got to become famous because of it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned obviously then kind of going over to, to Hollywood records and obviously that's kind of where your home was for, for several years and stuff like that. And you mentioned obviously the curse being where you sort of like first saw that kind of people taking note of you but like I, I don't know with Hollywood Records because obviously their classes are like a kind of a major label as you say big investment in you guys so I don't know did you kind of then see like the climb like for you guys because of like w without the saying like victory didn't help but like it was a more professional kind of outlet for you if that yeah. makes sense yeah it was it was interesting I mean we just kind of you know, getting to work on that tier. I mean, Hollywood Records is is Disney's record label. So I mean, being mm. amongst the Jonas Brothers and Hillary Duff and like, it's just like, <laughs> wow, like how we how did we get here? You know, like, but um, you know, when you're working with that kind of tier of stuff, even that there's a lot of a, a learning curve of things because we just never worked at that level before, and we were blowing money on things that we just didn't need to. I mean, our the becoming the bull video was just you know we spent so much money on that thing, and then we'd go and do another video with like one of our friends, Sean Stegemeyer, who did like falling down in, in, in like most of our videos. I mean, he's done, you know, crimson lip gloss and black, falling down, the theft, mm. um, storm to pass. I think he's done most of our videos and his videos usually are our best ones. And unfortunately, like we would give him the smaller budget and then give some other, you know, name <laughs> yeah. guy, you know, a shitload of money to do a mediocre video. And we're like, man, like learning things like that. Um, but, um, I don't know. I mean, even there was a lot of pressure going to a major label, you know, like what we were doing before, you know, like we've, we've wanted to, if you listen to the progress on the Atreyu albums from suicide notes to the curse, to, to death grip, to, um, lead sales, you can hear, like, we're always trying to get away from the screaming a little bit, you know, like we're, we're yeah. we don't not want to have it there per se, but we're trying to get away from it a little bit. And, it's always been that way from day one. It's, it's always been that way. And like, you know, a lot of people hear, hear stuff they do and say, oh, you know, with this record or because you went with Hollywood or with that, blah, 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 you guys sold out or do this and that. It's like, we've been doing the same progression forever. Like it's, if you look at it, mm. nothing that we're doing is a surprise. If you look back on all of it, it's like, oh yeah, this, this all makes sense. They're doing exactly the same, they're heading the same direction forever. Um, so, you know, getting to, be on that platform and do all this stuff there's 
it grew us a lot at like radio and things like that, like places that we'd never had before. We were like, wow, like we're, you know, falling down got to number two at one point in the country for all rock radio. That was the number two most played song. And we're like, wow, that's crazy to even think that, you know, but um, at the same time, there's a lot of flack, a lot of things that um, going that route also made it difficult for us. Cause a lot of people didn't like that. We pushed even harder to get away from the screaming a little bit on that record. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, you know, it's one of those things it's a sacrifices must be made you know like it's like we do we just do what we want to do and what feels good and what feels right or do we try to like do what the fans want or you know at that point we're not doing what makes us happy we're just trying to make other people happy and you know that's not not the way to go <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you mentioned there like obviously it kind of like put you in in different places as you say like radio and things like that but like Another thing that Atrey has done quite a lot now, but obviously like back in those days, it was kind of unheard of. But like the fact that you were like used on in sort of like music, uh, sorry, like film soundtracks and like TV like trailers and things like that, and that's almost like I don't want to say it's become a trademark of you guys, but like you're one of those bands that it seems to fit really well. So, like, where did that all kind of, like, those opportunities come into it? Was that something that you were pushing or was that something that was pushed by management? How did initially, that Initially, those opportunities, it's almost like if you build it, they will come, you know? Like, we didn't even know what opportunities yeah. fully that there were. I mean, there's some that are obvious that you see other bands doing or this and that, and you're like, oh, that'd be cool to do that or whatever. But um, a lot of it, it's it's once your band gets to a certain level of success, you you create such a strong vibration that you start attracting things to you. And um, hmm. you never know what you're gonna attract, you know? And so all of a sudden opportunities like video games and um, sync opportunities and movies and things like that start popping up. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, where <laughs> now, you know, we've done, especially on our last record was the first album where um, we have the song Time Is Now. And that song was hmm. written with the mentality of um, we want, a song we want to put a song on this album that has sync opportunity uh for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what sync opportunity is or sync sync is is writing music for commercials tv movies video games um things of that sort to be played at sporting events um brandon our, our drummer a former drummer uh now singer brandon um he has had a lot of success personally um, doing stuff where he's written stuff for Sync, where he's written stuff for like The Bachelor or Dancing with the Stars or a lot of like big commercials and stuff he's written the music for. And uh, he, because okay, of that, cool. he came to us and was like, you know what, guys, I've been having a lot of success with this. We should apply this formula to an Atreyu song. And that's what the time is now is. And then now even on this uh, album, we have like the song Warrior. Um, that was actually the first song that we wrote for the album. And you know, our mentality was like, we need at least a couple sync songs on this record, you know, like they need to be Atreyu yeah. songs, but they need to be directed in cater to that because it, there's a lot of opportunity um, with that. I mean, the time is now is the biggest song uh, streaming wise that we've ever had, which is crazy because it's off our most recent record. And it mm. was picked up by the NFL um, to where they used it. I was going to say, I, I remember hearing it in a lot of like commercials for the NFL. Yeah. So. NFL picked it up. They played it at least once every game, including at the Super Bowl. Um, they every, every sporting event, literally every single sporting event in the United States was playing that song at least once a game. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, the uh, Blue Jackets, I want to say, or Nashville, uh, the Ohio, I think it's Ohio's hockey team made it their official mm. song. I don't know, maybe it's this year too. It, oh, wow. It was awesome. their song when they'd like come out on the ice. They, at the time is now yeah, they yeah. come out on the ice and fucking, that was their thing. And they made it to the Stanley Cup last year or whatever. That, that was like, uh, while our song was their song, they made it all the way for like the yeah, first time. Yeah. And so, I mean, that shit, you know, it, it's just a whole nother world again that we'd never really familiar with that now like, things like that we, we're a little more conscious of and uh, make sure that when we're putting a record together that it has, like we always have, we, our records have to have so much dynamic to it. There needs to be fast songs, medium pace songs, slow songs, happy songs, sad songs. There has to be a little bit of everything. So it takes you on a journey. And uh, to elaborate on that more, we've added things in like sync vibe songs that uh, are just big epic songs that work great for sports and movies and stuff. Mm just on that like correct me if i'm wrong because i off the top of my head i can't think of one but i know a lot because i'm a i'm a wrestling fan sure. as well so i know like wwe do a lot of like 
this event is brought to you by X song. So is that something that you've pitched or is that the kind of thing? Yes, you're looking absolutely. At? I mean, so when you, when you get these opportunities, a lot of it comes from usually you have a publishing company that is all your songs are filtered through and they get a percentage of and whatnot to make it obviously worth their while to push these songs. But um, most right. um, publishing companies will have a sync department who does nothing but just pitches songs um, to these for these type of opportunities. So, you know, being that that's a thing, you know, like we knowing that we have that in our back pocket as a tool, like you want to utilize that as much as possible. A lot of bands don't or don't think about it or they just write songs and like hope that one of them will be good enough to get picked up by something. But it's like, well, yeah, if you're yeah. smart about it, you know, and you cater to that and you write some songs that do have that feel, you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. You know, you're not, you're still sounding like you and you're still doing your thing, but you're, you're, you're scratching that itch and giving the sync department stuff that they can, you know, that's easier for them to sell and, and, and work with. Mm. Um, especially for a band like us, that has been around for so long. Like we've been a band for 22 years this year. Like we need to, we're always having to reinvent ourselves and, and need to stay relevant and not just be some washed up old band from 15, 20 years ago. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and things like that keeps us relevant. Putting us, putting us on that platform keeps, helps keep you relevant. If you're at the NFL game or you're at your a soccer game or baseball game and you hear a new Atreyu song come on, comes on, that instantly our band is not some just old nostalgic band anymore we're, we're relevant we're right there with the times mm. and just to kind of go back in the journey a little bit like i don't want to sort of again don't want to dwell on it too much but obviously there was a break in time when atreyu wasn't an active band and i know like from reading past interviews and stuff that obviously you were kind of a, a linchpin in getting everything back together but during that sort of downtime, was there a sense of this might not happen or were you very like adamant that, okay, we just need like a cooling off period. This will come back sort of thing. Um, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I, you know, it, it's one of those things, especially when it first happened. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, I think between even Brandon and Alex, there was a lot of animosity, a lot of uh, just, just butting of heads and stuff for lots of, a lot of mm. personal reasons and stuff um that were just making things difficult um for all of us you know and i think you know when we went away we weren't really sure you know like when everyone was going to kind of calm down and, and kind of come back around and be like all right you know what? like i'm i'm over this whatever let's let's do this again um i i kind of just kept checking in every six months or so every you know a year i'd kind of just check in with everybody not you know, individually, I was, I was probably the, the one person yeah. in the band that was still talking to everybody in the band. Um, so I would just reach out and see how everybody was doing. And it was always one of those things where, you know, it really just came down to Brandon and Alex. Like they were the ones that were, you know, if <laughs> yeah. we're going to do this, you guys need to, you know, make amends and let's do this. So, you know, eventually when they, they finally did, it just, it just kind of started steamrolling from there. It just went right back into like, like, it was like, we never stopped now. And it's, it's weird to even think that that period of time existed because it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was eight years ago that we came off of hiatus, you know, so it's we've mm. almost had another decade of a career after that. You know? It's just it's <laughs> yeah. just crazy. We've been a band for so long. And like in terms of that, when you kind of did come back, like I think there's obviously like the initial sort of comeback, there's a bit of a spike because like the young, like older fans will have like that nostalgia vibe sort of thing. And like there'll be yeah there'll be kind of kind of some kind of spike in in sort of attention to it. But as you say, you've managed to like keep as a band and carry on, sort of thing. So, but when that initial sort of like comeback quote unquote happened, did you see like a mix of like older fans and newer fans? Because to some people, you're a brand new band yeah. essentially. So did you did you find that? Not initially. It's a lot of just well you had a combination of things. Some of the, the quote unquote newer fans were people that discovered us in the time period that we were on hiatus, you know, like maybe like right, right. when we in, they like just discovered our band and then we like hit pause and they're like, Oh, I never could have seen this band or, Oh, they're <laughs> gone forever now. Damn. And then we came back and it was like them getting to see us for the first time, as well as the people that were seeing us finally again, after years of, of not getting to see us. And um, it was really exciting. We were selling out shows faster than we'd ever sold out shows before. I mean, there was, I mean, for us as a band, it got us really excited, you know, that like just seeing evidence that people really did still care, you know, we're like, oh, okay, like people do care about us because 
part of, you know, us even going hiatus, you know, was, I mean, it, a lot of it started even with lead sales. We put out lead sales and like, we got really mixed reviews. We had one side of our career that was just doing absolutely amazing because of it. And then we had this other side where all of our OG fans were just like, screw this, you guys sold out. This isn't a Treyu anymore. Like all the things, you know, and where we're like, mm. so we're being pulled. We're like, we don't know what to do with ourselves anymore. And by the time you put out Congregation of the Dam, we're just really in this like, that really kind of that whole record cycle kind of beat us up a little bit. Like we didn't really get to fully enjoy it because as much as there was these positive things, there was so much backlash because we wanted to try something different that, you know, it really made it kind of a little bit stale. And then going into congregation, it was just like, oh man, like it just felt really stale at that point. Like we just didn't know what to do musically. We didn't know if we should just do what we want or what the fans want. And you can hear that on the record. I mean, the record's even called congregation. Mm. I mean. I mean, I can, yeah, there's so many deep things I can get into about this whole thing. Uh, we were the dam. We were the congregation of the damned, you know? Um, so we went into this whole lull for a while where it was kind of like, okay, like, do people care? Like, does it, like, that's one of the reasons we paused too, aside from Brandon and Alex butting heads and stuff. All of us were kind of just like, does anybody care about our band anymore? Like, do we want to, do we want to mm. keep doing this? Like, nobody cares and people are just going to say bad things about us. Like, all the fun's gone, you know? Um, so then we, when we came back and like people cared again, it was, it was really exciting, you know, even putting out our album long live, you know, kind of went back to a more of curse style roots a little bit, you know, just to kind of get that angst out. Um, but yeah. you know, then realizing in, in the reality of it all that like, we are not who we were when we were in our twenties, we're all grown adults in our thirties mm -hmm. now. And like, you know, in different places in our lives and different tastes and music and everything. And for us to be what we want to be, like things have to change. Mm. And in terms of like where things are, like before we get onto where with the record now, one of the things that I found quite, quite interesting, and now you said obviously like during that downtime, like Alex and Brendan were biting heads, but obviously when you kind of came back, everything was maybe not rosy in in, in the sense, but like you built a momentum again and. The one thing that I want to touch upon was there was a tour, I think it was 2019? I can't, I can't remember what year it was. But you played Slam Dunk Festival over here. And obviously, unfortunately, Alex had done something to his voice or something. I couldn't do it. Oh, that was it, yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because the throughout the span of you being a band, obviously you've built up all these like different generations of fans essentially. And then you do this tour in the UK where, well, especially specifically like the Slam Dunk set, you had like all these different guest spots and they're, do, they're doing like the classics and the new songs. And it's almost like this like emergence of like everything that you've done with all these different bands so was that a fun thing to be a part of to like almost like hand responsibility of your songs over to everyone else in some way that those shows were crazy uh so to kind of to, to set up you know what we were going through during that whole thing alex bailed about two weeks before the tour it was like i can't do this yeah. anymore and we we're like we have to go like we, we can't not go this is our one chance on this record cycle to go like we, we have to go. So we need to figure something out. So Brandon, who had been, you know, touring with Heller Highwater, his other band for a while, kind of learned the role of frontman. And he had a good like four year run of just being frontman all the time, no playing drums and just learning the art of that and got pretty good at it. Um, and then mm. from there, grabbing Kyle to uh, who's now actually our drummer um, to play drums. And we basically gave Kyle, sent him over all the songs that we wanted him to do. He learned them a week before doing this. Then we flew out two days early to jam with him and to get our in-ear monitors and everything dialed so we can kind of run through the set, make sure our ears worked properly. And then we get to the first show at Slam Dunk Festival, which is our first show with him, our first show of this whole tour. And we get ready to go on stage and with all these people that are going to come guesting and our in-ears don't work at all. Oh, shit. All. And, and for people that, again, for people that don't know what that is, your in-ear monitors are the you see bands that have these things that are ears connected to a wireless pack and our mixes, my guitars, my vocals, the drums, the click track that we're playing along to so we can play in time um, so it can sync up to like um, samples and things like that was completely gone. 
And that means we can hear nothing unless, of course, we have monitors on stage, which is kind of the more traditional old school ways. You have these speakers on stage that are facing the band, and those have the mix that you need that would, you know, are now in modern technology you have in your ears. We had none of that because we weren't prepared for the ears to be gone. So we didn't have monitors on stage, didn't have anything in our ears. Oh, we didn't fuck. have anything. All you could play along to was what was coming out of the front of house speakers, which is like really yeah, hard yeah. to hear if you're on stage because you're behind those speakers. I'm so like trying to do this, trying to play our first show with Kyle, who's like, this is his first show with us. He has nothing to play along to. We All we can play along to is just him. We just hear him. All these guest vocals have to come out. <laughs> Dan from Story of the Year is coming out. Like he's never sang with us before. He has nothing to like, he can't hear anything. He's just like, it was just a mess. Like, I don't even know what the fans perception of that whole show was or what that sounded like as a fans being in the crowd. But like from our perspective, from our angle, we were like, what a fucking shit show that was. Like, oh my God. I don't know. I <laughs> see, so from my from my perspective, I saw I enjoyed it. I thought it was like a Treyu karaoke. I really yeah. liked it. Yeah, it was it was so I mean, I mean, like I mean, luckily when you've been doing something like this long enough, you know, like I think for uh, like things get such under a magnifying glass that um what becomes bad or not that good to us to the average ear listening to us live, wouldn't even notice that. But us, we're like, everything yeah, yeah. needs to be perfect and we can hear every mistake that anybody's making or every little thing that feels off time or whatever. Um, so being up there and not being able to hear anything, we're like, oh my God, I could be, I could be a half step down on my guitar and not realize it, you know, cause I can't hear that I'm, I'm playing the wrong chord and, and able to adjust real quick. I just, I mean, it's happened before where, you know, in years went out, we were playing Not Fest uh, years ago and, and we were playing a new song called So Others May Live. And there's a video of him. You can go look it up, not fest, Trey, so others may live. Um, Travis and I are playing the middle bridge and like, I am playing it like a half step down. And the whole thing just sounds like this weird, like, is that how the song's <laughs> supposed to go? Like we're playing in time with each other, but like, Ooh, that's kind of got this weird vibe to it. And it just comes down. I couldn't hear myself, you know? So I'm like, I'm up there rocking out. And I just, yay, everybody, I'm doing great. And you realize you're just fucking playing the wrong thing the whole time. Well, if we couldn't move on to currently, obviously you say Batside's coming out uh, June 4th and obviously like you've mentioned the whole kind of journey of Atreyu has kind of been this move away from not necessarily the aggression, but like the, the more sort of scream shouted vocals. And I think this is like, obviously this is the first album without Alex on it for a starter, but it's obviously like this is kind of the more fully formed of, as you say, wanting that sound. So for, firstly, was it strange not having Alex there? And secondly, like, how has it felt like now put, starting to put this out in the world and it being this more kind of, not, is melodic in some aspects, but like, I guess a calmer version of Atreyu in some ways. Yeah, in some ways. And um, I mean, the overall record, um, there is like, if you've heard like the song Underrated, there's more stuff along those lines where there's, yeah. we still have screaming yeah. porters taking over all of Alex's screaming duties and um, anything new screaming duties, anything screaming wise, Porter does it, our, or our singer Brandon uh, will do it as well. And um, I think not having, not having Alex there, um, I don't know, it wasn't, it didn't make it difficult per se. Uh, I feel a lot of the reasons why there, you know, we've parted ways with each other because you know, I, a lot of it, he just, he just wasn't there, you know? And I, I think, yeah. I, I think his, his head, a lot of his head and his heart just wasn't fully there um, it, anymore and, and hadn't been for a while, you know? And I think that's, it just made it really hard for everybody. It's like being in a relationship, you know, it's like being married to someone where like, do mm. we still love each other? Like, is this, are we just doing this for the kids? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, do we really want to be here? Like, is everybody happy? Like, we just want everyone to be happy. Like, are you happy? You know? So like, doing this whole thing you know it just felt you know like there is kind of a calm you know like that everyone's kind of like all right this is this is this is where everybody needs to be now like this is where everyone's going to be able to grow and moving forward is is this scenario so being in the studio and i don't know kind of alleviating that kind of that pressure of, of trying to make sure you know in particular that alex is, is happy you know um mm. all the time you know we're able to kind of just just take our foot um, off the pumping the brakes and be able to just go pedal to the metal with anything that we wanted to do. 
um, or anything that we mm. weren't comfortable with or able to do before, maybe because it just wasn't comfortable for everybody in the band, whether it be, you know, Alex himself or other members or any combination of, um, I think a lot of that was kind of alleviated, uh, removing, um, or not, not, I shouldn't say removing, but not having that element. Yeah. And then just in terms of kind of like where you are personally, obviously like when Atreyu started, as you mentioned, you were teenagers kind of thing. And obviously we're now, as you mentioned, 22 years sort of down the line. And yes, the music's progressed and obviously like you've had all these different experiences with the band and so on and so forth. But personally for you, like what's been the biggest sort of changing factor for, for you personally and for the band? Um, I mean, a lot of it's, uh, I think even just where we're at with our personal lives, you know, being married, you know, guys having kids, uh, things like that change up the dynamic a lot. Um, as well as even for me, I, I, I have, I don't know how one, two, four or five businesses and I lose track, but mm. I, I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, I do a lot of stuff in the merchandising world and, um, yeah, that, um, you know, I don't have as much free time as I did when I was in my twenties to just sit around and just play music all day and just try to just be a rock star all day. You know, like I have to kind of yeah. juggle, you know, I have to put on different hats and sometimes I put on my, you know, my Japanese Hachimake hat, uh, bandana, and that's the hat that I'm wearing for the day. Um, not literally, sometimes literally, but, um, uh, other <laughs> days, you know, I'm, you know, trying to help my brother and my business partner, Mike run our, our printing uh, our merchandising company, or our screen printing shop, or our fulfillment company, or our little keychain um, amp keychain company we do plugins. Um, so it's, I think those elements, you know, it just it, the focus is different. You know, like we uh, we have to look at mm. a tray you in a different way and handle it in a different way and manage time differently and stuff. And um, yeah, just trying to be more strategic with the things that we do with the band because our time is valuable uh, and everybody has less time now than they did before because we are all starting families and trying to you know provide more than just what we can provide via the band so there's uh, a lot of elements that you know come into play now yeah and obviously as you mentioned album coming out later this year but obviously the world is starting to kind of get back to some semblance of normality so have you guys started to discuss what that looks like for you in terms of like touring and stuff, or is it still early days? A little bit of both. And we've been discussing, I mean, we have some shows on the books in the United States and festivals that we're supposed to tentatively be playing as right now, there's still a go. But um, other than that, like we're not really even trying to do anything until next year, just cause it's, it's almost yeah. like, what's the point, you know, like we're going to, we can get, you know, you can get all <laughs> yeah. excited and we can try to put all this effort in and get it all lined up just to be like, nah, those are canceled again. And we have to make a whole announcement and cancel everything. And it's just, it's just like, let's just like, wait till there's a nice, safe, you know, you know, light at the end of this tunnel that we can really see. And we know where that light's at and where the, that tunnel ends or starts or whatever. And at that point, it's like, okay, you know, we can really start to put some stuff on the books and, I think what mm. makes it really difficult for every band um, to an extent is a lot of stuff was supposed to be booked for 2020. And the initial thing yeah. was just scoot that back a year. Now, the, re the way that affects things in more than just the obvious way of, oh, you have to wait another year, is that like, if you're not, like for a band like us, for instance, where we're, we were working on a record during that all of 2020, we weren't really looking to play that many shows or do anything. It wasn't really on the radar, we were looking to start 2021. But because everything in 2020 got scooted back, a lot of those opportunities aren't aren't there because it's like everything got pushed back here. So we now have to almost wait another year to get all those initial yeah, shows yeah. that were originally booked. They have to still take place with those same lineups that we, maybe we didn't get a, a spot on there because we weren't looking for that at the time. But now the time that we do want to do it, when we are available, the spots aren't available because you know they have to be made up. So it just, it pushes everything <laughs> yeah. back even another year, you know, it's just, so there's a lot of that. I mean, there are situations where some bands are dropping off some of these opportunities they've been hanging on to because of insert whatever happens between then and our, our you know, whatever, yeah. you know. Um, so opportunities do pop up where we can jump in and grab some shows here and there, but it does, it just makes every, things are just still really difficult until, until it goes back to normal. It's just going to be a rocky road. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Well, Dan, I've taken up way too much of your time, but how I like to end this is I usually ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what's your favourite Treyu song that you'd like to play live and why? Uh, my favourite one is is Right Side of the Bed. Um, it's, yeah. for me personally, it's not, no, I'm literally the only one in my band that likes playing the song live. Everybody else doesn't like it. Oh, really? I, I had a big part in writing the song. Uh, the guitar solo I wrote in high school for another band that I was in with Brandon and a guy named Johnny Russell who went on to start the band, the Cold War Kids. Um, so for me, it's got all the things like it's got a breakdown in it. It's got this big chorus that I get to sing harmonies to. I get to sing with Brandon on it. So I get to sing on it. I get to play a guitar solo on it. Uh, the verses are simple, so it's easy to run around. And like, it, it's, it's one of our most popular songs. So everybody sings along. So it's fun to play live in that sense. Um, it's just got so many elements about it that uh, that I love. So for me, it's a uh, it's it's a really fun song to play live. Cool. And just before I do let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this little anecdote. So I'm, I'm going to take this sure. opportunity to say it. So I will always remember when uh, the video for Lip Gloss and Black came out, and I think it was on like it was either like a Victory Records like compilation video or something that came free in like Kerrang! magazine or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember watching that and when it got to the chugging breakdown and you and Travis are doing like the panning oh, yeah. guitar and I never saw anybody do that. And even though it's such a simple thing, I thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. And I was just sort of like, those, how are those guys doing this and playing their guitar and moving it? Even though it's so yeah. simple. Another thing I stole from the 80s. But I was just sort of, yeah, so I was just sort of like, yeah, I'm fucking sold on this band. So there we go. Yeah, that, was, that honestly, the like... us doing that, like we were just stealing it from. I mean, I it was all my idea. I, I wanted to, my band thought it was silly at first, and they think this is the, so silly, Dan. I'm like, I'm telling you guys, <laughs> people are gonna think this shit's cool. It's gonna be awesome. Nobody's been doing it since the '80s. We're gonna fucking do this. It's gonna be awesome. And it kind of started a fucking trend in in. If yeah. you were in a singing screaming band and you're doing a synchronized move, most likely you weren't doing it before we were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can watch the video <laughs> for either Lip Gloss and Black. If you want to go all the way back to 2002, 2003, we were doing synchronized moves. People, because it turned into people doing synchronized, like jumping up and down with each other or, yeah. you know, even like the head bobbing thing that people would do. There's a lot of like silly moves that came from it. But like, I can't, I don't, uh, you know, there was nobody really before us that was like really pushing. I mean, the band Darkest Hour was doing a little bit around the same time we were. They were having fun with some of that stuff, but they were a little more under the radar than we were. So nobody knew they were doing it as well but um yeah i mean we were doing stuff i was taking moves from the scorpions we were doing like um like the big pyramid where like uh travis would be here and then porter would be here and then i'd come and stand on both of them and hold my guitar yeah, up yeah, and stuff. Yeah. we just ripped that off from the scorpions but if you're like you're saying if you're at the age you're at and you're watching a band like us you've most likely never seen that but you've never seen that poison used to do this stuff and that you know, Warrant and all these, you know, the Scorpions, all these bands were doing these moves. Van Halen, Van Halen was actually, they're kind of the OG one to start doing some of that stuff. But, um, you know, nobody knows that unless you were there at those times. So like, it was like, yeah, you know, yeah. it was it was fresh, fresh uh, fruit for the, uh, the fucking picking. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But Dan, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I've been lucky enough to, to hear the new record ahead of schedule. It's really really fucking cool thank you i think like for any atreyu fan they're gonna absolutely love it and i think like you're potentially like obviously every hope is you're gonna pick up new fans but i think this is definitely gonna go open some doors for you guys as well so we're hoping so yeah best of luck with everything in thank the you so much i appreciate your time as well perfect no worries thank take you care. later So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Dan for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with whatever Atreyu are doing on all the various social media platforms, uh, which we'll put in the description notes of this episode. And as mentioned in the chat, their new record comes out on June 4th. Um, if you're an Atreyu fan, it's very kind of, well, it's not very different, but it's a departure from some of their stuff. But it's a, I'm really like it i've been fortunate enough to hear it and it's a really cool record so yeah go check that out when it comes out on june 4th um as always if you want to support this show as mentioned at the top of the show patreon is the place to go uh, patreon.com forward slash justin podcast 
as well as our charity sampler, which is still going ticking away nicely. Uh, we've raised 100, just over £110 so far for Heads Above the Waves. Um, so you can go check that out at justininsightpod.bandcamp.com. Um, yeah, donate what you like. Um, and follow us on social media, just underscore and underscore insight on both Instagram and Twitter and just an insight podcast on Facebook. Um, that is it for another week. As I say, we're nearing episode 200, which is very exciting times. Uh, hoping to have a little information on that a bit nearer the time, probably about the time we get to the 195 mark. Um, but yeah, thanks again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast. And I'll see you soon.